Amen. <clears throat> well, good morning. Um, it's so good to be here. Uh, we've been back for one service. Uh, we've been running pretty hard since we got back from Brazil. Um, it's, it's been good, but I feel like I've almost been on like a three-month somewhat of a break a little bit. Got back to work um, for a few weeks now, but uh, a lot of fun things in the schedule. And one thing I think that we, as we went back to Brazil and met with so many different people, went to so many different places, um, prayed with pastors and leaders, is just the importance of maintaining good, healthy relationships. Um, we had been gone for eight years, and I've talked with a handful of our friends down there over the years, but um, as I got down there and we hugged and embraced and some of us cried and laughed and I thought, you know what, why did I wait so long? Because I miss him so bad. And um, it just reminded me of how important relationships are, not just to me, but important to God. Kingdom relationships and going deep and um, spending time together. Um, so we've kind of been riding that wave a little bit since Brazil. I kind of said in my heart that I don't want to go back to the, the same routine, which is a lot of work and very little play and not enough fellowship. I said, I don't want to go back to the States in that routine. Lord, change me. I, I, I need to put kingdom as priority. And I believe that kingdom is you guys. Kingdom is reaching and getting to know our neighbors, right? Jesus said that. He said there's, there's two really, really important commandments that sum up all the law of the Old Testament. It says this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And the second one, just like the first, love your neighbor like you would yourself. And I think that was the, one of the things that I came back, when we came back from Brazil eight years ago, I just thought, man, do I even know my neighbor? <laughs> right? Do I even know them on a first name basis? Um, or if we were to run out of, you know, eggs or sugar or something or milk, or bread. Do, do I even know them enough to go over there and say, hey, neighbor John, can I borrow a, a dozen of eggs or something like that? And I thought, you know what? If I can't do that, I don't think I really know my neighbor, right? So the Brazilian culture uh, has so much to do with relationships, um, eating together, laughing together, praying together. Honestly, the let's say a, a two-hour church service on Sunday, that's like the cherry on the, on the top of the cake because you've built the cake all through the week. Lots of time spending together. Um, so I think my, the rest of my family got here. Kelsey has been working on a slideshow, putting together this amazing slideshow. And uh, unfortunately, it didn't all go to the pin drive, so we will not be showing pictures this morning. <laughs> Yeah, and she's pretty exhausted, <clears throat> pretty discouraged. Is that, is that true? We are trying. Okay, I know some of you have been praying. I've been praying. Please, God. Um, because, you know, pictures are worth a million words, right? One picture. And so um, a little bit of a recap. Um, like Max had mentioned, my wife and I and our four kids lived in Brazil for almost 11 years. Uh, in that time, 
uh, God really put on our heart, not just to be a, a missionary down in Brazil, but to be a missionary where there were no churches. Uh, we had been doing a, a water filter project as part of an outreach of our church, so that would allow us to build about 60 of these heavy concrete water filters and go all up these river systems and up the creeks and, and go to these last little houses, these little shacks up in the middle of nowhere. And so we were bringing them gifts that they could, you know, pour dirty water into this water filter, which was it's about this tall, about 300 pounds. And uh, they were very, very hard to, to get up in these places, but that's, that's what we had at the time. But it was creating a relationship with these people. And we're saying, you know what, you guys matter. And you being healthy and drinking clean water um, for you and your kids. And it always, almost always turned into a church service. And many times it actually turned into an actual church. Because it was a means that we could create relationship. So Brazil taught me so much. Um, what is that means of creating relationship? Because you have to create a relationship to introduce Jesus to somebody. Most of the time. Most like the old saying, they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Right? So what does that mean? What is that bridge that you're building with that people that the Lord has put on your heart? And it may just be, you know what? You're right. I don't know my neighbor. It could start there. Right? It could be even here. I don't know the person sitting on the other side of the church. So, um, so it's always I, I see things through the eyes of, of that. How can I build relationship with this person? And asking the Lord for wisdom, asking the Holy Spirit to lead me. So that was an opportunity to get out in the middle of nowhere uh, with the water filters. And so the Lord started putting on my heart to plant churches where there were no other churches. And so that's what we had done um, for... Over the course of 11 years, the last four years was in a little community town uh, called Maribel, which is uh, an old logging town where they, when it was legal, they would saw mahogany logs. And that brought in a lot of, there was a lot of local people from the time of the, um, the rubber latex. Back in the days, they would cut the sedinga trees and collect the latex, the, the um, yeah, latex, to make tires and, and everything else, a rubber. And so that, that brought a ton of people up into the area where we had moved to, and then also lots of Indians up there. And so it was really like the Wild West. And then you get this sawmill, and so you got people packing guns and machetes, and we'd heard of fights and all these things. And, and the Lord had, had um, called us to go to that place. So <clears throat> when we... Um, actually, I want to introduce my family uh, if you guys want to stand up, <laughs> I think most of you know. Oh, you can be my family. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. I'd love to meet you after service, though. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's right. Yes, that's right. That's a great answer. All of you, we are brothers and sisters under Jesus, right? We have the same father. So um, are we going to have any, any pictures? Okay. Okay. I was just say Kelsey did to music and captions and all this stuff, but I think we're just grabbing some pictures and putting up there just to have a, a face. Uh, so this is when we had left uh, Medford International Airport. <laughs> yeah, I laughed too. <laughs> so there we are, all ready to go. Um, 
there's our team. Nate, my son, um, biological son there. He couldn't be with us this morning, but uh, my um, son-in-law, Nate, is, uh, was, is here, and he might be sharing a little bit later. So we're going to pass to the next. All right. So you guys remember uh, we had some fundraisers before we left, and one was to purchase a speedboat. We were able to do that. Thank you guys so much. Um, this is the speedboat that we bought. And um, we were, this, so this is in that town I was just talking about, the old sawmill town of Maribel, which is like the old Wild West. And um, so since, you know, we moved out there and lived with the people the last five years, um, made lots of, lots of uh, new friends, lots of people gave their lives to Jesus. And the cool thing about this church is when we went down, we were commemorating 10 years since we had built actually built the physical church. We had been meeting for four years before that. As I talked on the kingdom of heaven, it uh, wasn't actually about a physical church, right? It was about the body of Christ. And so this is one of the trips that we did. Um, I think we just went up to an island just to swim for an hour or two. That's uh, Nilza on the right. She's the pastor's wife and just an awesome Awesome woman of God, loves the Lord. And then the, the gal in the green shirt is her daughter-in-law. And the guy in the back there is a really, really good friend of ours. Um, and, yeah, that's a whole other story. Uh, the, guy in the, the guy in the back, the Brazilian guy on the right, I'm on the left. So, <laughs> Advance. Yeah, there's another picture of, of the boat. It's about um, 33 feet long. So uh, I was going to say, you can pack about a dozen Americans and maybe about 30 Brazilians in that one. <laughs> so as long as you've got a finger freeboard, uh, you're good. We're safe. <laughs> that means about a half inch before the water goes in the boat. Okay, my wife and Nilza. So... <clears throat> One of the things on the far right, you see a pile of yellow, like they look like pods. That's where we'd get chocolate, okay? So we want to back up just a little bit. I won't hang on or talk too much about chocolate, but um, you break them open. There's all these seeds in there, and there's a pulp around it. You dry them in the sun, and the pulp kind of dries off, and then you roast those seeds, and you crush them. You grind them, you add uh, sugar and maybe some milk and then stir it on the stove and then you have chocolate. So that's where it comes from in case uh, you didn't know it just came out of a big brown chocolate bar. <laughs> you know. And then of course fish. Um, this guy right here, um, his name is Raymond or Hamon. And uh, I knew his dad very well. Uh, his dad was quite the character. Um, his dad was... Kind of a drunk. He, he tried to do his best, but he was an alcoholic. And his, when his dad was younger, got in a fight with the nephew, and they were both drunk, the nephew decided to bite the dad's nose clean off. So, so anyway, um, no, I threw that in. And he goes attacked by a jaguar. You see these scars right here, two points, and then two points back here. Uh, this guy's dad, of where a jaguar tried to 
crush his skull and he's stabbed in the stomach. And these are just jungle stories. You hear them all the time. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, the guy Hamon on uh, the past picture, when his dad, um, about a year ago, his dad passed away, his dad was dying and on his deathbed said, he called his two sons to his side and he said, sons, you need to accept Jesus in your heart. I've done it. I've accepted Jesus. I remember the teachings that we would hear and I gave my life to Jesus. And if you guys want a prosperous, abundant life, you need to give your life to Jesus. And both sons gave their life to God. And so that was the, the last picture. Um, he's just an amazing uh, leader, uh, very intelligent. Um, for being on the river, he knows how to read. He can write. So just that is, is huge. It's uh, very advanced for being out there. Most people on the river do not know, know how to read or write. They're very good with their hands and, and building things. But So, yeah, that's Hamon, and he's a very good cook as well. Everything he does is like to perfection. And um, let's see. I think that's some deer meat. The guy on the right, that's Pataka. He was kind of our right-hand guy when we lived down there. He was our boat pilot and uh, was always hanging out with our family. It was his grandpa that was one of the first to go to, the re to that region um, to cut the Latex. Sorry, sometimes I have to translate like four words down in my catch a word because <laughs> they never call it latex. So anyway, uh, that's the grandson, and uh, he's been he's married now. He has a son. Uh, he's doing awesome in the Lord. Recommitted his life. When we left, uh, he backslid a bit, and that was pretty tough for us to hear that. But he's he's been following Jesus probably for the last four years again, and is stronger than ever. Um, married, has a son. So that was a, a deer, this deer meat uh, that they went out and killed for our big party, our 10-year party. So we're bringing it back to, the, to where we had the big festival. On the left there, that's Pastor Clenildu. And if you guys remember Marcos that was here, okay, this is Marcos's uncle. And I tell you what, um, when I heard Marcos talking here, and I think I, I said something at least to him. I can't remember if I said it in front of the church. But I, I sensed like a very, very similar anointing that was on Marcos that Clinildu has. And so he's, he's been part in planting probably 50 vineyard churches. Where he goes, he's just like a magnet. He just loves people. And he, he relates with them, whether it's out on the farm, fishing, hunting, building. He'll be talking about that. And then somehow he brings kingdom, he brings Jesus into the conversation. And people just start gathering. And I'm just like amazed. And the next thing you know, he says, well, let's see what Jesus says about this. You know, open up a Bible on the table. And it's amazing. And, and you know, a month later, there's a church happening. So he just has a, a very incredible um, anointing on him for church planting. And, of course, we're doing what we do best. I put on about 10 pounds down there, by the way. So this is a, um, we call it a bahaca. So this was built for when visiting uh, Brazilian teams come from other churches. They have a place to hang their hammocks. This is where we, ate, we stayed as our family. Um, and this was the start of the uh, big 10-year party that we had there. Just a, a great time. You can see the smiles. Just 
lot of love going around, and it's all because of Jesus. All right, there's the, the little church that we um, built out there. There's only, there might be 100 people in this region, and it was the only church there. And so um, just so much fun to be able to speak in Portuguese again and, and minister the word of God and, and pray over people and be back in that place um, and see it full of people and growing. And that's one of the things. We wanted to know on our trip, well, how are these churches doing? Are they shrinking? Are they maintaining? Are they growing? And across the charts, all the churches are growing. So it's been amazing. Um, she called. Let's see, there's Pastor Clonildo sharing. And it was really cool to, actually, after he preached the message, my kids came to me and said, Dad, we understood everything he said, not just because they speak Portuguese, but the way that he was teaching, it was just so, so clear and so relatable. And um, not that that doesn't happen here, but with my kids being, bo being born and raised down there, they just understood. It was almost, to me, it was like their first language. And uh, that was a really neat observation. So after Maribel, we visited uh, Uruara. This was a, a church that we had built as a partnership church to be able to help reach Maribel, which, which was um, way out on this river, very hard to get to. One of the things in church planting is um, how is the church going to maintain itself? Once you have the building and all the people, you know, there's, you have to have an income, right, for electricity, um, you know, if you have a pastor, you've got the salary. For mission trips, you have to have food and, and gas and all these things. So that's the one thing. Once the missionary, that's the question. When the missionaries leave, is it going to be able to stand on its own? And that's something that I, that I always look at all the time as an exit plan. If we start this thing, what's the exit plan? What's it going to look like when we leave? Is it going to fall on its face or is it going to keep going? So... You had to ask God for wisdom for that structure to be able to hold it in place. And so this was a church, um, at the time it was actually, it was going very strong. And when we left, um, the couple that was pastoring it, they were having a hard time in their marriage. And that did not end up working out. So then another couple came and they kind of held it. They kept it going for the past since we left, and then about six months ago, there was another couple that's out there now, and it's different. We met with them. We had lunch with them. Um, the, this is the town called Uruara, and it's a big logging town, like a bunch of sawmills and stuff. And so we, we showed up at this church at about 6.30 at night. Church service is at 7, so we were able to shower really quick. And the, the pastor's wife was getting ready for service, but she just met us with smiles and hugs and, and uh, was preparing food for us. And we're just like, wow, <laughs> don't you have to lead a service? Because um, her husband is the main pastor. All the men went to a God encounter. It's like a conference where God just rocked them. And just on another side note, he, the pastor was, was led to share on deliverance. I guess deliverance down there has been something that's a little bit been curbed, but he, he was led to share on that again, and it was incredible. A bunch of people got delivered, 
And so it's happening. So you don't see a whole lot of guys there in this service. After Uruwara, um, we went to the Miranchi Church, which this was a church in Altamira, which where the main uh, Shingu mission was first planted. And I was the contractor, um, actually oversaw the building of this building, which is probably a little bit bigger than this, maybe wider, a little bit bigger. And so that was a, a really fun undertaking for me to oversee and then work with the Brazilian construction teams. Uh, that was bridge building for me. <laughs> and many of them started uh, becoming leaders and pastors as well. So we got to share there. We, we did kind of a Q&A, and I think after a little bit I'm, I might be doing that um, if you guys want to prepare yourself um, with my family up here because maybe you might have some questions to ask them what it was like, you know, to, to go back and, and maybe also for my son-in-law who was first time in, out of the country. Um, so, yeah, we did some Q&As there. And one of the main questions by the Brazilians were, was this. When are you coming back? And when you do, are you coming back to live here again? And it was just like, <sighs> and you probably want to know what my response was. <laughs> it was so Deus que sabe, which means it's only it's it's only God knows, only God knows. You got as you know, there's needs all over the place. There are needs all over the place. You don't have to look very far. You just have to drive down through Grants Pass and be like, oh my gosh. Your heart just breaks. There's Clinillo again. Um, yeah. He was wearing that same shirt for about a week. <laughs> but he still smelled really good. <laughs> Brazilians, I, I don't know what it is. But he'd be like fishing and putting nets out in the morning and come back. He'd put a net out like at 10 at night and he'd come back and at 5 in the morning, just that big smile, uh, full of fish for everybody. He's just like that. He's... When I think of Jesus, you know, when, when all the fishermen were out and they came to the bank and they saw Jesus on the shore, and it's just like, Jesus was like, I've got breakfast ready for you. I just thought, that's the side of Jesus, of that servant heart. It's just like, it's incredible. He's not just thinking, that's kingdom too, serving. That's totally kingdom. And so that's, that's Clint Ildo. He's He serves like Jesus in so many ways. Oh, that's me on the back. <laughs> that's... Uh, yeah, that's Nita. She's a, she's a pastor. Her twin sister actually pastored the Miranchi Church for, I think, the past 15 years. And, and her twin sister and her husband, who was an American, moved to the capital of the state of Pará to start a vineyard there. They thought, we're going to go. We've done the river churches. We want to go reach the city people. And we want to reach them, too. So, um, Central Church in Altamira. When we first went to this that church, it was a whole different building. Uh, it was just bricks. It looked like a bomb had been dropped off, you know, dropped in the church. No win windows were in it. When it rained, it would leak. It was just yeah. That's how that's how they start, right? And since then, uh, Clinillo was the main pastor. He handed it off to the assistant pastor. Um, and his wife, they're both probably in their early 40s. Um, great pastors know the word, uh, communicate very, very well. But they also have some side businesses where they can make quite a bit of income while they're doing ministry. And so 
this was the church we were a little bit we were more impressed as far as I was air conditioning that's very very nice um, we were met there with servers would you like coffee would you like tea would you like water I mean I was like whoa this is like I was gonna say first world but I mean it was just so generous and um, Anyway, this, this was a, a group that had just uh, graduated from a, a course that some missionaries that lived down there while we were down there. It's called Living Waters. It's an inner healing course. And so all these uh, Brazilians up on the stage there had just uh, graduated from that course. And so that church is able to sustain a lot of uh, mission work in the interior because they have a lot more revenue. And it's, it's not holding them back. They've got people that are going out every week, and uh, it's amazing. This is another church, Pastor Kenny uh, in the yellow, and his wife uh, next to him on the left, and then their daughter on the left. So there's a story there. We met Kenny and Hosey. They had just got married. This was in 1998 when we went down uh, to Brazil with Midge and a team. And... I had a word over him, you know, I was, I was praying, I just felt that, like the Lord was a, um, equipping him with the armor of God, and I was trying to pray in Portuguese, but this was, I didn't know any Portuguese. I get down to his feet, and I'm thinking, I kind of botched this thing, let me grab a Portuguese Bible, and I went to Ephesians 6, and when I grabbed the Bible, I opened it up, Ephesians 6, I came back, now before uh, Kelsey had been ministering, this is, this is in 1998. Kelsey had been ministering on the other side of, the, side of the stage after church. And so it was just I, myself, praying for Kenny in the yellow shirt there. I grabbed the Bible. I turned back to pray for his feet because I'd already gotten down to the, to the gospel that his feet would be shed with the gospel of peace, right? But I got the Bible so that I could actually, you know, have it. He could see it in Portuguese. When I came back, Kelsey was kneeling and had her hands on his feet. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, God. It's so cool to see that the Holy Spirit is talking to me and my wife as a couple and preparing us to minister together. It's not just me doing my thing and her doing her thing. It's a together, together thing. So that was a confirmation. And, and Kelsey had actually brought down a, a wing, a, a, a wedding, I can't even talk, a wedding ring. Um, Kelsey's original wedding ring that I bought her. She didn't want to take it down there. A lot of diamonds and stuff in it. But she did have a ring that was a promise ring that when she was single, um, it was promised that she would maintain, um, just always put God first. It was like a, a, a ring of, uh, a promise ring between her and God. And so Kelsey found out that they had just got married, but they didn't have enough money for a wedding ring. And so Kelsey had taken it off and given it to her. And I had forgot about that. So when we went to the church, I shared a little bit in front of the church. And then the wife comes up, and she still had that ring on her hand. And she remembered it like it was yesterday. So the Lord is blessing them, blessing their church. Um, deliverance happening again. Like I said, there was a season where the pastor was going why aren't people manifesting like they were? What's going on? There was like a change. What's, what's up here? And, and so now that they're finding in prayer um, that 
people are manifesting demons again, and they're being able to set them free. Just passionate guy. Okay, so um, yeah, that's that's the church in another city called Porta Jamaz. There's a couple leaders there. Uh, we were there on the on a certain on a couple weekdays. We weren't there on a weekend to catch a church service, but um, they're totally remodeling their church, expanding their church. So this was an evening service, this one here um, that we did in the backyard of the house we were staying in. And this was incredible because um, most of these people here, they were kids in our youth group when we were down there. And just to see them now as, as leaders, pastors, married, have families, um, it was just amazing. But after we had left, um, maybe several years after, the vineyard there kind of went through a, a change of hands and, and, a, and different pastors, and there was, a, I'll just say, there was a, a church split. And so some of our assistant pastors and worship leaders, which just amazing, amazing brothers, they started another church, uh, Pause Church, who was, a, it's a great church. That's the church that Marcos is part of. And so I think there was some hard feelings just because they were part of our family and now we're not, you know, congregating together and, and things. And so they hadn't met in a long time, maybe eight years or longer. So when we went there, and this is like around 10 or 11 at night, we had to get on a boat the next morning and get up at three. <laughs> but uh, we had a big dinner together and then we played some worship songs and different leaders got up and they shared around. We had this big circle in the sand here. And um, some of them were crying. And they said, sorry, <laughs> we haven't been together since you guys left, since after that. And all the missionaries are gone. So um, it was a great, great time to be out together. But it was just like, part of me was like, they need somebody as a catalyst, as a father, to be like, you know what? Put your differences aside. Love on each other. And I, and I think that helped them. They were talking again and, and everything else. Um, so just being there, we were only there for two days. It was like, oh, we got to go already. Because we lived there for two years. So this is just one of the um, times on the beach. Of course, we roast up a lot of fish and meat and play in the water and kick the soccer ball around. A lot of community. So that was the evening that we kind of got around and shared. Oh, speaking of this, they had asked me to share that night. And I said, Lord, what am I going to share on? There's so many different subjects. And I went fishing with a friend. Um, he kind of left the church. He was really strong back in the day. And he kept saying, man, when you were there, when the missionaries were there, things were so good. Things were so great. And since then, you know, I've just kind of been wandering. It's just like, ah. That was encouraging. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. And so I thought, I'm going to spend some quality time. So we went fishing together. And as I'm thinking, Lord, what am I going to talk about tonight? I see something shining in the sand about six, in about six inches of water. And it's half buried. And I pull it out. And it's a ring. And it says a word on it, not in Portuguese, but it says a word. It says love. And I thought, you know what? 
That's a good one, God. <laughs> can never go wrong talking about God's love. And then when we had gone to uh, the other church, there was actually a pile of letters. It was like V-E-O-L. It was, I was like, wait a minute. Let me align these things. And it was love. And so, and that was something I got to just tell these young leaders uh, that had worked with me um, that I loved them so much. Yeah, this is another pastor. Um, it's crazy because I, I know his story before he came to Jesus. He was the guy. He, worked, he was in the military. We lit, the church was up on the top of the hill. He would ride his bike. Uh, he was not a Christian, but since his wife and daughter and, and a lot of his family were coming to church, he would come just check it out. But he was always excuse himself because he, and he always kind of talked down because um, he was trying to not let me smell the alcohol on his breath. <laughs> he was embarrassed of it, but he would still come to church. I'm like, you know what? You're, you're not like oblivious. You're not drunk. Come and sit. Come and listen, you know. And so he came, and I think in about three months, he gave his life to Jesus, became a leader. Five minutes? Okay. And um, anyway, just amazing. He's been pastoring for about 12 years now, loves the Lord. He and his wife and uh, his daughter is like best friends with my daughters, and his son is best friends with my son. So that, that's there, some of the leaders. Um, yeah, just I, I could tell stories of every every person there. Uh, one of their main worship leaders, um, the third from the right, Max, who's got the blue shirt on. Um, very timid. He started off kind of on the worship le worship team. I think he played maybe a little bit of guitar, um, but Kelsey had asked him, Max, do you ever sing? And he's like, Well, at home I do, but I wouldn't sing in front of the church. So she encouraged him to start singing, started giving voice lessons. And I tell you what, he plays guitar very well. He's so passionate about Jesus. His voice is incredible. He writes songs. He's um, recorded songs. And the power of invitation, it's just, hey, it's just asking somebody, like, come on board. I, you might not even recognize that gifting in them, but bring them on board. And, and he jumped up to the plate, so. Yeah, that's Madaba. Anything left? Okay. So I'm going to ask my family to come up. And we're going to do kind of a... <laughs> we probably had about 200 pictures, but I wouldn't have been able to talk, stop and talk. So, let's see, since we don't have a microphone out there, um, let's just sit up here. Okay, if you guys want to sit down or anything like that, or stand, whatever. So, on the far, on your far left, that's uh, Hannah. She's my youngest. Yep. Great sh soccer player. We actually had a video of her making a really, really awesome goal. It was just amazing. And then Maddie. And then Nate, uh, son-in-law Nate. We call him Nate Jenhu, which is... Son-in-law. <laughs> but you could just call him Nate because my other son, Nate's not here. <laughs> and then McKenna, uh, she's my oldest, and you know us. So 
questions you might have, um, just a little background. McKenna was three when we moved to Brazil. Maddie was 18 months. And Hannah was born in Brazil. What's that? As was Nate. As was Nate. Um, so you've got some differences as far as uh, where they're at in their language, and knowing the culture. And then we've got my son-in-law, Nate, who married McKenna, who's like half Brazilian. <laughs> when she gets to talking and carrying on and jokes and everything, it's just like, my gosh, she's like totally Brazilian and cooking food and everything. You'd think they're Brazilian. Um, but if you had any questions for any one of us, um, maybe you want to stand up and, yeah. Yeah, um, I don't think it does, really. Um, if anything, I think it's a little bit worse down there. Um, they're looking at what Americans do. So everything that we're doing, teenagers here are doing, they're also doing and looking up to. So I think it's honestly worse, if anything. Yeah. Internet is down there. They got phones. They got they got access to it all, even out in the far out places. They even have internet towers out on the river. <laughs> and that was one of my big things was what's technology done to our people since it's come in. And it's, you know, it comes in and goes as far as the dependability of it. So it's, you know, maybe back at 2013 for us, you know, when it was not as, you know, 2G or whatever it was. Um, and it's more, you know, intermittent. But when it's there, everybody's on their phone. <laughs> so, anybody else? Anybody else? I'm just curious um, about what you guys actually did besides meeting with people, meeting old friends. Was there, like, any people saved, anything like that going on? I think that we got to celebrate with people um, that had been saved recently. Um, this, this, this was a little bit different as we went down. The first church that we were going to share at, um, they were having a big harvest party. But unfortunately, the morning of that they were to have the party, uh, one of the grandmas passed away. She's like 80 years old, just had her 80th. She, yeah, she was like the matriarch of the Minanchi Church, and I was like, whoa, okay. And we ran into the granddaughter in the capital city at the airport. We're like, whoa, what are you doing here? Well, I'm going back to my grandma's funeral. And so I just felt like, oh, okay, well, it's not going to be the type of harvest party that we were thinking, you know. But the Lord had given me a word about his perspective and his greater world harvest and how God brought her into the family at that point, you know, into, into eternal life. And, and so I kind of thought that the theme was to meet with those that are already saved and the leaders and where they're at and be intentional and be present and weeping with those that wept and grieving with them. And I was able to encourage uh, many that were kind of backslidden and so I, I kind of felt that that was, that was just reconnecting with leaders. Um, 
I don't think we were part of any baptisms when we were there. He's not wanting to let it go. Um, we need to wrap this up soon, but um, just a thought on that, Teresa. There was opportunities to minister to people, especially out in Mighty Bell. Um, there was a great altar call there, and there was a lot of people. Well, I think there was a picture up there, and it was just everybody standing kind of like this with their arms out, and they were all rededicating their lives and um, wanting more of God. They wanted, more, they were, they're hungry, and they wanted to be filled. So that was probably one of the more, um, you know, standout moments um, for ministry in that sense. Um, we weren't holding crusades. We weren't holding revival meetings. We weren't doing that. Our our mission this time was just to gauge where all the works were that we had been a part of. And um, overall, it was just super encouraging. And actually, they encouraged us. <laughs> so that was that was the basis of it. So who knows what the fruit will be later. But, um, yeah, I think we need to move on and maybe just see if anybody has something to say from our group. And Okay, well, it's getting close. Um, so my dad didn't mention this. There was a death that happened the day we arrived. And actually, on the end of our trip, the last place we went to called Maraba, um, we, so two of my best friends lived there. And the morning we got there, um, one of my best friends had a lunch plan for us, and she was so excited to see us. So we finally got to see her after eight years. And she was so excited. I've never seen her so happy. She was, like, crying when she saw us. She was so happy. Um, so she had a lunch planned, and me and Maddie decided to go out in town walking because everyone, if you don't have a motorbike, you're walking. Um, so we had to go get a few more supplies to make lunch, and we were talking about her family, her brother. Her brother's, like, her best friend. He actually didn't live in the same city. He had to get out of there because in Maraba, um, there's a lot of gangs and most of his friends got killed from being in gangs and he was actually in a gang and he had to get out of there and he completely changed, turned his life around. Um, and he and his wife had been trying to get pregnant for a really long time, but every time she got pregnant, if she would miscarry, like even going up a flight of stairs, anything, she would miscarry. So finally they got pregnant and this baby stuck and they were so happy the baby was actually due this month. Um, and so we're walking back and um, we get a phone call that her brother passed away in a motorbike accident that morning. So God's timing is everything. Um, we were there to comfort her. Um, it was just so weird how it happened, like eight years not being back. The day we arrived, he passed away. So it was kind of a weird, um, just our last few yeah, days there. Um, they do open casket down there. So we were waiting basically for four days for his body to arrive. Um, his wife, they were all freaking out because his wife miscarries very easily, and she was like, almost ready to give birth, so they were really praying that nothing would happen, um, but it's just crazy that we were able to be there and comfort her, and she was just, even with the death of her brother, she was so thankful that we were there and that we could um, walk her through this and just be there for her, but anyways, um, I was just texting her today, and the baby was born, and yeah, 
And um, I guess the baby's having some trouble, trouble breathing. So if you guys could be praying, they are kind of the biggest warriors ever. Warriors? <laughs> warriors too, but <laughs> warriors. And so um, the mom, I guess she's not doing well um, after birth. She's very worried about the baby. The grandma, um, she's very scared too. The baby's not breathing right. So if you guys could be praying for the baby and just the whole family. They're really struggling with the passing of their son, brother, dad. Yeah, just every, yeah. So, yeah, that's what I wanted to say. Just keep them in her prayers. Um, actually, sister's name, my best friend, is Anna. Um, the wife of the brother's name is also Anna. So if you keep, keep both Anna's in your prayers. And the baby's name is um, Maria Cecilia. Yeah, and she looks exactly like her dad. So, yeah, um, be praying for them. Well, uh, my journey was, or my trip was uh, way different than theirs. <laughs> Since I've never been there before, I didn't know anyone, so I was kind of sitting on the sides like, cool. <laughs> And uh, I was super disappointed that it wasn't mango season. What the heck? Take us down on the worst season. <laughs> All the pee and bugs and stuff. But um, it was very cool to see where they grew up and very crazy how they lived down there. Um, yeah, that's all I got. Man. I'm buying some kind of blink right now, so <laughs> I don't know. They don't have very much. They're pretty poor, and um, it's crazy how they have, they're so poor, but they have so much spiritually, and uh, yeah, even through the toughest conditions and times, they still have faith in God. It's pretty awesome. Um, one thing that I kind of took out of there the most was just the power of accepting culture, living how they live, and just doing day-to-day -day life in their culture. Um, there's just so much in that, and you can relate to them, and just the power of that, and also creating much deeper relationship with them. Um, there's been so many, so many people mentioned just how much we live like Brazilians in that type of culture, and how it created a deeper relationship with them and so like us going back it was like so many tears <laughs> so many when are you guys coming back to live <laughs> we miss you guys and everything but just the power of accepting culture and living like them it it went a long way yeah you want to say something sure um well my trip was great i just when i was down there i didn't really uh, pick up on the portuguese like everybody thought i would so I was kind of in the same boat as Nate, just a spectator. But I was usually babysitting the kids or, um, yeah, hang out with the little kids. Um, but the people down there are so generous and joyful, and it's just crazy to see the, the difference of the cultures. When we came back, McKenna was 
turning 15. Maddie was 12 turning 13, and, and Nate and Hannah were much smaller. Um, because we had taken a few furloughs home in between all these years, we were there almost 11 years, you know, the girls primarily had their cousins, and we would come back and just kind of go in with whatever they were doing. And so when we came back full time, um, that kind of helped the transition. But for the younger ones, it was a lot harder. I remember Hannah walking through the house going, Mom, what, what are we going to eat? Is there any rice and beans? <laughs> like, she just, that was, that was their, that was our normal. <laughs> and um, uh, yes, we, we would still do rice and beans. But, you know, there, there was a lot of adjustment just with the food or things like that. When it came to friends, I think um, some, of, some of them, most of them actually, um, have struggled. And this is typical for missionary kids or even kids that live, they call it third world, uh, sorry, third culture kids. Parents are from one culture, they're from another, and we blend it together and make it a third. <laughs> and so um, there, there are things that, that are difficult to transition, and having friendships is one of them. Uh, these kids have a worldview that the general kid doesn't have. And so when they're sitting there hearing somebody complain about their, you know, mac and cheese or something, uh, the kids are like, What? <laughs> We don't even like mac and cheese, <laughs> but um, just that's just an example. Like they, the problems that you know some of the kids complain about the entitlement or whatever, they pick up on it really fast. Um, but do you guys have something to add to that um, about the transition? Well, so down there, we're kind of like celebrities, I guess. Probably mainly because my dad, his mission is probably to get to know every single person on this earth <laughs> and so yeah so I mean when we lived down there everyone wanted to be our friend like everyone wants to be your friend um coming back here it's not quite like that which is fine um but it, it was definitely a little bit different coming back like wait you're not obsessed with me <laughs> just whatever it is so yeah, you don't want to be my friend, or yeah. So uh, the the cultures are just totally different. Um, we thankfully we had we have a lot of cousins. Um, so coming back, we were able to. I feel like that's all we really needed. We have, we have a lot of cousins. So, um, but just getting to know their friends, and we were also in sports, and so we made our own friends and stuff. It's not like we don't have friends. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was. It, it, different coming back here and trying to make friends and um, but yeah everyone down there wants to be your friend if you go down there they will want to be best friends with you I, I do think it is the culture there of everyone is just so welcoming and everyone does want to be your friend but even like on the airplane my dad was talking to some lady and she was like, next time your family's down here, bring your family. You can stay with me. Come to my house. There was just so many people. Like, the first time we were playing soccer with some friends, Hannah was taking care of a baby. And the mom was like, come to my house. You guys have lunch at my house. We were actually able to do that the last day we were in town. But it was very difficult coming home here and trying to make friends. I was 12, trying to go into middle school. And, like, just the different aspects of things. 
having a culture where everyone wants to be your friend, everyone just clicks so easily, and here where everything is a little bit more like I'm my bubble, you're over there, I'm over here. We can have friendship, but it's not close. It's time. It takes time to get there. It's very backwards down in Brazil. So I think that was the the hardest thing for me was just realizing that. Anybody else have a question? Yes, you in the back. <laughs> So the question I'm understanding is how how was it? Ah, how much edification did we feel going back and seeing all that had passed? Um, for me, um, we don't have all day, unfortunately. But when we left, when God called us back, I felt it was too soon. I was actually very attached to the people. It was like family had finally resolved the whole issue of homesickness. It was, it was a done deal. I was fine. And then we have to go back home. Um, there was a plan. There was that exit plan that we were working on, and I didn't feel like we were there yet. And so I was like, Lord, like, I know you're God. I know that you must have a plan. It obviously doesn't involve us um, being there to walk it through. So going back and seeing the growth seeing new people saved that sat on the sidelines while we were there coming into the kingdom or had already been in the kingdom for a few years. That was awesome. It was so awesome to see that because it was like, he didn't need us. <laughs> he doesn't. Okay, maybe to throw out the seed or to, to sprinkle it with water or whatever, but he doesn't need us to do the actual cultivating. That's his job. And um, that was edifying to me. Yeah, thanks, Steve. <laughs> um, yeah, just just going back and seeing everybody um, growing and, and doing missions, and I mean that's one thing, Teresa. The great question: Do we see a lot of people saved? Um, the Brazilian church there—they're doing it every weekend. Although they work Monday through Friday, they're doing mission trips. They're going out on their boats or or uh, motorcycles or we're loading up trucks. And they're, they're going to communities every weekend, pretty much, a lot of them. Or they're doing inner city stuff. But they're doing the work. We just felt like they needed encouragement um, to continue to do the work well, that they're pouring out, pouring out. They have each other. But I think to see us, um, you know, I, I could go on and on. <laughs> but we had another, a um, Kayapoa Indian. There was four different villages and a number of Christians, number of these Indians in the villages got saved and they weren't accepted in their, their own original village. So they ended up getting to know each other and starting another village that we went up to nine years ago. And we've been texting now that I'm doing WhatsApp, WhatsApp, and because uh, that's how they do it all the time. They communicate with each other like 15 second little hey, good morning, just thinking about you, praying for you, brother, I love you, like all day long. They're always doing that. But he, he called and said, when you guys visited, it was so good, and to be part of the inauguration of their church upriver and, and the visits and the time that we spent together and, and our son's birthday and praying together and dancing in their Indian language, praising Jesus together. 
he just reminded me of those things. And he's only had a couple visits since. And I just thought, wow. Because they live out in the middle of nowhere. They live out in the middle of nowhere, so it's hard to get to. They're hard to get. That's, that's why we haven't reached everybody. But these little talking Bibles, this was one that was used, and I, I was going to pass it around earlier, but um, I just remember this is an older one. And Pastor Clenilu put it in the hands of a man in a village. The guy uh, accepted Jesus through listening to this little Bible. His wife accepted Jesus. His kids accepted Jesus. Other people in the community accepted Jesus. So this is a seed. And normally all these buttons have a little plastic deal over them. They're all gone. It's, it's taped. And Pastor Clenilu says, take this and show this to your church. This is how you use, this is a well-read talking Bible. There's only one button on here that's original that was not pushed. And it's the pause button. It just goes. It just goes. It just goes. They're not like, oh, oh, wait a minute. Let me, let me put this on hold and do something. They just listen to it. So I just thought, too, and it was a reflection of, of their commitment. They'll hear the word. They might come to church. And listen to the gospel, listen to the teaching for months, six months maybe, until they're like, you know what, I'm in. I want to give my life to God. And when they do, normally it's 100%. And it's, you know, becoming, getting saved, possibly becoming, becoming a leader, possibly becoming a pastor. It's just like boom, boom, boom. Like we're in. So they don't hit the pause button. It's just all or nothing. And, and I think a lot of it is what the kids are saying. It's the culture, too. There's so acceptance. And, and it's, yeah, just amazing. But if anyone wants to, um, maybe we could pass this around if anyone wants to see it. And maybe say a little, huh? Or you can look at it. But I thought maybe we could close in prayer. And so we brought down 165, brand new, not like this. This is, I don't know, a couple years old. Uh, 65 talking solar Bibles that put in the hands of five different pastors in different regions all over where we're at. And then they give them to people that don't know how to read. Um, it's not just the, oh, that's a cool thing. That's an electronic device. You know, can I have one? Because we, we did that before and it didn't work out. We see them left on the bank or whatever, just like, oh, my gosh. We have to, you know, be very strategic in in whose hands these are in, so they put them to practice. Because we want the testimonies that someone got saved and their whole family gets saved and their, you know, the whole village gets saved because of one of these. And um, so there are 165 Bibles down there uh, being distributed to different people. And so I want to pray. Maybe while we hand, the, if I hand it out like this, um, just a quick prayer that those that receive a Bible would be, would be touched. Some kind of connection. I mean, it came all the way from, from the jungle, right? So, so, anything else? All right. Well, let's stand. I do have a scripture. I'm just going to read it really quick. And it, Paul in Romans is talking about love. It's um, Romans chapter 12, verse 6. My eyesight isn't as good as it used to be. It says this, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. 
Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to eat. In this you will heap burning coals on his head. And do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Amen. Um, yeah. So, Father, I just thank you so much uh, again for the opportunity that we had to revisit the churches down there, to encourage the leaders to, to grieve with those who are grieving, to rejoice with those who are rejoicing, uh, just to, to love others and receive love from others. Uh, they do that so well. And we just thank you, Lord, um, for what you're doing in the Brazilian community, in your church down there. We thank you, Lord, for what you're doing here in this body. We thank you for that uh, bridge that has been built for so many years, and I believe that's being uh, re-walked on again uh, to cross over and encourage the Brazilians and, and many others um, across the world, Lord. We just thank you for all those um, pastors that receive the Bibles. We just lift them up. We just ask, Lord, that you would direct them, give them the wisdom to put them in the right hands of those who would um, not be a one that would bury the talent, but would invest it. And so that these bi Bibles would uh, bear much fruit, uh, that they would land in good soil. Uh, and it would be like the testimony that we shared about the man that got saved and his family and the whole community because of one Bible. So we're asking for this, Lord, that you would multiply it in all these different regions that we had gone to, and just be with all the pastors and missionaries, the Brazilians there that are continually, continuing to do the work. We ask, Lord, that you would encourage them, that you would strengthen them, that the joy of the Lord would continue to be their strength. We thank you, Lord, for, for all of them, uh, for your presence, and, and for your, just for your awesome work that you started. We know that you're faithful to continue it and complete it in your time. We just... Uh, everybody listening this morning uh, that hears the stories and, and saw the pictures, God, that you would move on our hearts um, where we would be able to, to be activated more in our community, to be available and love on those and give hope to those uh, that don't feel loved and, and those that feel hopeless. We just ask, Lord, that there would be divine encounters and opportunities all over this place and you would give us boldness to step out and walk into that. God, we want to see your kingdom advance. We want to see lives changed. God, use us to do this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.